You're listening to Different Things Can Be Sad. Hello and welcome to Different Things Can Be Sad, where it's cool to care about politics and pop culture. I'm Yasmin Lomax. And I'm Micah Hunt. And we are the hosts of this monthly politics and pop culture podcast that is coming to you for the very first time in the year 2022. How mm-hmm. exciting. Uh, so we thought we would kick this episode off with a little bit of a reintroduction for anyone uh, who needs it or an introduction for anyone who has made listen to more podcasts their resolution for the new year. So as I mentioned, monthly politics and pop culture podcast and in each episode Michael will teach you a little something something about a topic that's been making news in the world of politics, and I will do the same for a piece of pop culture news. We started recording this podcast oh so many years ago in 2018, um, shortly after we had met while studying in Boston together, and while we were studying there and becoming good friends, we realized we had very different interests, um, but we were still really good friends. And we want to show people that it doesn't really matter what you're naturally interested in, whether that's women in politics or Beyonce's Coachella performance, which is the topic discussed in our first episode, which you could go check out if you wanted to. Um, and regardless of what topics you're interested in, both are valid and can be dis- discussed in fun and thoughtful ways. Absolutely. And we got the name, Different Things Can Be Said, uh, from the movie Lady Bird, which we went to see together in Boston and is very near and dear to our hearts. Timothy Chalamet's character reprimands Saoirse Ronan's character for caring about how she lost her virginity when countless civilians have been killed since the invasion in Iraq, to which she responds, different things can be sad. It's not all war. So we are showing that, yes, different things can be sad or they can be happy or interesting or whatever. It's just okay to care about what you care about. And we also talk about things that we read, watched, and listened to over the past month. So it's a pretty fun time, if I do say so myself. But Micah, do you want to introduce yourself for any new or listeners who are suffering from memory loss? This is a good good challenge that you've set me. Um, Yasmin sets me homework <laughs> sometimes, and this is one of them. If I had to describe myself, um, I'm 24. I recently graduated from my master's, and I live in Vancouver, Canada, not Vancouver, Washington. Um, I have spent two degrees now studying politics, and I'm a little bit of a nerd about it. Um, And I have a really special place in my heart for all politics surrounding women's rights and gender equality. Um, When I'm not chatting about politics, um, you can find me reading all the books I didn't get to read in university, having a fun time with that. Um, I also love cooking and baking and doing all different sorts of sewing adjacent hobbies. Like embroidery, right? That's a bit of a passion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Micah has even embroidered me a lovely uh, gift before. So very talented. Um, <laughs> I am I am Yasmin. I am also 24 and I'm a copywriter living in New York City. I'm originally from Ireland, but I spent a lot of time growing up in Australia. And then I've been in the US since 
late 2019, which is why I sound weird. Uh, so <laughs> pop culture, I love crafting, particularly crochet at the moment. You can't see, but I am holding up half a sock uh, to wow. show Micah over Zoom uh, that I am currently working on. It's it's half a sock, you know, it's kind of what you would expect. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like reading. I like writing for fun and a reading, watching, listening, anything to do with a lot of very definitely cool things from the early 2000s. That makes me sound like a cool like TikTok, Y2K, yeah, Gen Z kid. But no, it's like uh, um, like the the other day I had a dream that I was dating both Julian Casablancas from The Strokes and Adam Brody from The OC. And it was it was pretty great. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, though, my... I was uh-huh. going to clarify, you've been into the early 2000s since way before the cool TikTok kids, um, as evidenced by this podcast, for sure. Yes, yes. I just uh, decide to only change my personality once every, like, 10 to 15 years, and we just mm-hmm. haven't got around to that to that cycle yet. So that's me. Um, Micah, how has the past month in Vancouver been treating you? What have you been up to to kickstart 2022? gonna say 2021 but i'm smarter than that nice um i've also been struggling to remember what year it is um Mm -hmm. i'm trying to think of nice things in our current world that i've been doing i have i am as of this moment three days away from doing 30 days of yoga in a row (gasps) yoga with adrian yoga with adrian oh our queen adrian Um, love her love her um if you know anything about Vancouver, you know that yoga is like a huge thing here. It's part of like the ethos of the city. Wait, really? Invented here. Yes. Big deal. Um, I've sort of done yoga like on and off my whole life, but it's been very nice to come back to it um, with Adrian and Benji, her dog. Um, Love Benji. Love Benji. It's been great. Uh, That has been the most consistent part of my life in January. Yeah, it's pretty cold there as well, right? Because we're freezy, freezy <laughs> here in NYC. It's cold, um, but not like actually cold. It's like three degrees Celsius. Celsius. Which isn't actually oh, we're Celsius girls on we're this Celsius podcast, girls, by the way. Yes. So, um, Sorry, Americans. Sorry. Uh, so it's not actually that cold, but um, it feels chilly. That's that's fair. We're down in the minuses, so it's legit chilly. Yeah. Um, and I have been doing a lot of reading because of that. I have read seven books this month. Um, wow. Yeah. Wait, no. Is it seven or is it more? I have to use my Instagram to track it. That is um, at Yasmin Lomax on Instagram. Just a little plug. No, I've read nine books this month. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Here, I'm going to tell you. And I was so okay, well, with myself. We got to get into the telling you of the books, yes. listeners. Um, I will do a caveat. The only reason I've read so much is that I did start the month um, in Ireland where I was visiting my family over Christmas. And then we had like quite a long flight to get back. So we got a lot of reading done there. And then I have gone through various periods of COVID and weather quarantine since being back <laughs> in New York. So we got lots of reading done, but I'm going to kick it off with my favorite book of the year so far, which is silly. It's January. It's like my favorite book of three weeks, but mm-hmm. 
The Anthropocene Reviewed by John Green. And if you are a loyal listener, you'll remember that Micah read and loved this book last year. And I am doing Mm -hmm. the literal same this year. It is so freaking good. It's so good. So as a refresher, The Anthropocene Reviewed is a collection of essays by John Green. He of Looking for Alaska, The Fault in Our Stars, various YouTube ventures fame. And in this book, he discusses and reviews on a five-star scale things that make up our world. So he'll review the Penguins of Madagascar movie to the smallpox vaccine. There's everything in there. And it sounds kind of silly, but it's actually just a beautiful read. It's very, very personal. He touches a lot on his mental health, his family, the pandemic in like a non-awful way because I kind of hate when things mention the pandemic but he does it in a really like genuine way not in this like I find like a lot of things try and do it from a perspective of like the pandemic is over he's just someone like going through it with us but I also really loved how optimistic and sincere the book is it has this kind of like poetic dreaming extremely thoughtful quality that makes John Green's writing so beautiful And he's also just, like, the smartest guy. Like, I learned Mm -hmm. so many facts from these essays. Uh, He and his brother, Hank, are just, like, so damn impressive. And, like, they're so productive as well. It's it's insane. So It's crazy. Yeah, I don't like thinking about all the things they do. There's so so many things. When I think about it, I remind myself that they didn't really kick off until they were in their early 30s. That is true. And they have been doing, like, all the things for, like, 10, 15 years. So, yeah. And they got, like, incredibly lucky getting in at, like, the ground floor of YouTube. So, yes, which they think, and they've spoken about recently, is, like, one of the more creator-friendly platforms. So, a good one to get in at the beginning with but really love this book um i will give you a recommendation for my favorite essays in it i really liked one about the scholastic decathlon Mm -hmm. that was very very sweet um and there was also one about Haley's comet i think i just liked any of the ones that were like the felt really john green like you know those bits in looking for alaska where it's like we're a teenager and the whole world is in front of us and we just feel alive and it's like maybe Mm -hmm. a little obnoxious but like i'm into it they Mm -hmm. were my favorite parts of the book do you remember any of your favorite essays micah um i like the Haley's. i think reading the book as someone who has both like watched and listened to john for the last like five years Mm-hmm. More than that, geez. Um, like the Haley's Comet thing he's talked about for years. Like it's yeah. been a constant theme in like his online presence. And I really mm-hmm. liked seeing it like come together. Um, I really like the the one, the three men walking towards war, which is like this picture that um, oh, yes. he's kind of obsessed with. Um, and I liked it as like a like interesting pandemic kind of positioning as well. Yeah, he brings um, in the pandemic in a way that's just not gross, which I think is yes. sadly quite rare. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. Great book. Uh, it also prompted me to do like a full teen regression. Mm. Uh, I was like listening to the Paper Town soundtrack and all sorts of crazy stuff. But I did also read A Court of Thorns and Roses, which I was calling 
a court of thrones and roses for like 90% of the time I was reading it, but it's called a court of thrones and roses or Akatar, and it's by Sarah J. Mass. I actually did not read this book when I was a teenager, but it was giving me big vibes of like the mortal instruments, like hunger games, mm-hmm. like those kind of books that I would have like been so sucked into and then read all of them in a week. And then like, couldn't stop talking about shadow hunters or something that <laughs> like, that's me in this one. Yeah. So the basic premise is like a very loose Beauty and the Beast retelling. And it's about a 19-year-old hunter called Farah who kills a wolf that turns out to be a fairy. And then as like retribution, she's taken to the fairy realm where she has to live with the High Lord of the Spring Court, who <laughs> is very sexy. Mm-hmm. It sounds so nerdy, but I am so into it. I would also like to shout out my queens, Brooklyn and Bailey, for recommending (laughs) this on their channel. I I took an influencer's book recommendation. I was like, ah, it's probably not that good. So into it. Um, I do feel there's like some questionable elements to it. Like, you know how a lot of YA seems to have like, some problematic analogies that can be drawn um yeah it has it has that like for instance the uh the kind of like fairy kingdom in the book is called prithian and then there's like a more kind of like evil other one called highburn and it does seem like highburn is like ireland and prithian like the good guys is the uk and i'm like mate if you're gonna pick like wants to be the good guys and like or i guess wants to be the bad guys don't make the ones that were like oppressed for 800 years the bad guys like reverse it girl reverse it mm-hmm. uh, or maybe just don't draw those parallels you know um there also seems to be from spoilers that i've seen of future books because there's like four or five more that some of like the more villainous characters who've been doing like maybe weird sexual stuff so far are going to become heroes later on which is like another classic why thing half yeah. edward cullen um but <laughs> I, I was pretty sucked in if anyone has read this book uh and has like intellectual thoughts on it like sorry that makes me seem like i'm saying that people like who just like it are dumb i'm not i'm just saying like if you have <laughs> thoughts about like the potentially problematic elements of it and want to come forward please Come to me at the aforementioned at yes, and <laughs> we can discuss. Okay, that was a lot, Micah. What mm-hmm. did you read this month? I read um, several things. Um, the book that I have talked about the most with many people, and now we'll talk about with you, is My mm-hmm. Body by Emily Ratajkowski. Um, you got our, you did her name, you did it, Ratajkowski. Yeah, not that you have trouble with it, like your check, but do other generally people the population have problems does. with it? Oh. I don't know yeah. why it seems everyone. I yeah, I did listen to a review and they just called her by her Instagram handle, which Emrata. is Emrata. Yeah, yeah. Um, My sister messaged me to say that she read this book and she wrote it as um, "My Body" by Emily Rada Keyboard Smash. Like they were really <laughs> like keyboard smash. In the last um, yeah, you don't. I don't think you pronounce the J, which makes it helpful. Um, anyway, so Emily Radikowski, if you do not know, is a very famous model. Um, known mostly for being incredibly sexy. That's kind of her brand. Um, she was catapulted into fame when she was one of the main models in the Blurred Lines music video in 2013, which, if you remember, 2013 was incredibly controversial. 
because it was a bunch of mostly naked women dancing around um, three men. Also, the song uh, is kind of unconsensual in nature. Um, anyways, she kind of stood up for herself at the time, being like, if I want to flaunt my body, it's a feminist act, let me do that. And the book, kind of the introduction starts with her talking about writing these, being in the Blurred Lines music video and coming in with those responses and talks about how she's kind of changed her mind about what it means to be someone who is valued and paid for being beautiful um, and how it's much more complicated than that. Um, and there maybe isn't like a clear answer. And I think that's what I really loved about this book. It's very frank about the fact that she's not like writing this big feminist treatise. Um, and she isn't trying to offer any really big conclusions to political debates. She's just trying to kind of explore what it means to have a relationship with her body and specifically a body that is seen as valuable by society. Um, and I just, I thought it was really, I think she's had a lot of criticism that have been incredibly ungenerous, Mm. mostly people being like, why would I want to hear about this hot woman's body? Um, what could she have possibly to say? But I think like, there's something really important about like understanding privilege from the place of the privileged person. Um, and specifically like a privilege that is steeped in misogyny. Like when we value women based only on how they look, we're devaluing other parts of them. And we're saying that Mm. their, their only value is the way they outwardly appear to the world. Um, and what does that do to someone? And when they exist day to day being told that that's the only thing that they're useful for. Um, but she also, she doesn't, like, shy away from the fact that she has a lot of money and, like, a lot of power and her fame has served her served her and her husband well. Um, I really like the stuff about her relationship with her husband. I thought it was really interesting. Um, and her mother. Um, yeah, I just, I was engrossed by the whole thing. I, like, read it in a day and a half. It's quite short, so it's an easy, like, thing to sit down with and kind of ponder and think about. So that yeah, it's really interesting and kind of like the whole book might, uh, I guess, like answer a lot of the criticism that came with that first essay that mm-hmm. was published last year. Because like I know people had said stuff like, um, I guess like one of her solutions in that essay was to spend like a million dollars buying back a photograph of her, and people mm-hmm. were kind of like, "Oh, you're just like casually mentioning like the yeah." extreme wealth and like how does that apply to anyone else but uh from what you said Micah it seems like there's maybe a little bit more acknowledgement of that side of privilege and that it's not meant to be like an answer for everyone yeah I think um the essay that so she wrote I think was it in Vogue I can't remember where it was Variety Mm. um I think that was the first essay that sparked like this collection and she revised that essay for this book and it's all about like how she doesn't own her own image Mm. um, and her body and, like, how people profit off of it. And, yeah, I mean, like, she owns an $80,000 painting of herself and she could casually, semi-casually buy that. Um, But also, what does it mean? My million dollar was exaggerated. I apologize. Uh, (laughs) No, it's really fine. Um, But, like, 
someone also made millions of dollars selling a book of semi-pornographic pictures of her without her consent. Like, um, and she, like, couldn't do anything about it. I, I don't know. I think it, what was funny is, like, at one point she mentions an Instagram picture. Um, and so I went to her Instagram to watch it. And, I like, it's not the kind of content that I want to follow on Instagram. Like, it's not like she's pivoted to, like, I only talk about politics on my Instagram. And, like, this is, like, just a series of all my TED Talks, which, like, some activists' Instagrams are. She's, like, mm. still making money by selling bikinis, um, which power to her. She makes quite a bit of money doing that. But it's not any content, like, I want to follow. But I think I'm really interested in what she has to say, which was a lovely thing to experience i don't know yeah Loved this it. sounds really it. great yeah um another book i read which i wanted to shout out because this came into my hands partially through yasmin who suggested it as a christmas <laughs> present for me um i read oh Some yeah Disney. for any yeah. uh new readers we have like i was gonna use the word incestuous but that's not correct but um <sighs> like we do have a thing where I met my boyfriend through Micah's boyfriend because they were roommates. So, like, now there's, like, a whole uh, – there, <laughs> there's a realm. So. <laughs> there's a realm. Yeah. Um, there's some lore attached to the podcast. So, um, yeah, I did have a little a little hand in that with my yeah. other connects. <laughs> Great Christmas present. Thank you, Yasmin. Um, and John. It was, and John. Um, <laughs> it's called Seven Days in June by Tia Williams. Um and it's about Ava and Shane who met and fell in love over seven days when they were teenagers. And then they were separated for 15 years and have reconnected after both becoming successful writers. Um, the cover is very like, for some reason I thought it was much more like literary in genre. Um, it's less, it, it leans much more into the romance than I expected, which I really liked. Um, it has, like, a really wonderful depth to it. Um, it's not just, like, romance for the sake of romance. Like, they have – it doesn't, like, shy away from the complexities of the lives they've lived. But it's still, like – they're very cute and, like, like clearly love each other a lot. And, like, that's always great. Um, if you like books like romance, but also books that have really great representation of disability and also black love. I think this is a book for you. It's not that long. It's a fun read. I bet the audiobook is good. I read the Ooh. physical book, but I'm sure the audiobook is good. So I'm gonna add that to my list right now, Micah. It sounds right up my alley. I do like some, you know, a little bit of romance. And I have been watching a little bit of romance. Oh, this great month. transition. Yes, yes, yes. In Emily in Paris season two. She is back. To recap last season, we saw mm -hmm. Chicago marketing exec Emily Cooper, played by Lily Collins, move to Paris and throw herself into French life <laughs> with many an American blunder, including 
hooking up with a hot chef who turned out to be her like only friend's boyfriend. And this season, she was dealing with the fallout of that, as well as exploring new relationships, dealing with some pretty seismic shifts at work, and then wearing her absolutely ridiculous outfits, a lot of fingerless gloves and weirdly perched berets. So really happy that Emily's doing that. I think it's just such delicious escapism. I think it's fun. I think everyone needs to leave Emily alone and go on to the Hallmark channel and see what they're doing, right? Emily is like <laughs> Emily is pretty legit compared to that. So that's all I got to say about Emily in Paris. Have you got more maybe intellectual is my word of the month. Have you got more intellectual <laughs> recommendations, my god? I do. I've seen um an absurd amount of movies this year already. Um I think it's 20 and it is just January. What? It's too many. Um but also I've been having fun so good uh one movie um from this year slash last year this oscar season um the tragedy of macbeth joel cohen adapts the scottish play it stars his wife Frances mcdormand um as lady macbeth and she was part of the big like creative push to make the movie um and then denzel washington is the titular macbeth uh it's a wonderful mix of very like theatrical staged performance with that takes like full advantage of the medium that is filmmaking. It has my favorite depiction of the witches I have ever seen. And I've seen <gasps> really? a lot of depictions of Macbeth. Like I've seen Macbeth done many times, but I like I gasped in the movie theater. It it was great. It's very like I think there was some Shakespeare adaptations that you don't have to like Shakespeare. Like, I think Romeo plus Juliet, like, mm. not just for the Shakespeare heads. This right. is a bit for the Shakespeare heads. Um, and I loved it because I am one of them. Um, so that's my rec. It's fun. Macbeth is kind of the best. Like, I. It really is. Yeah, I, I love a bit of Macbeth. When Lady Macbeth's trying to get that spot out, like, oh, give Great. me that shit. <laughs> so good. Um, she just uh, cannot my wash her at the clothes. End when um, I hope that all their names are so similar. Why I like say I'm a Shakespeare head? And the oh, names. Macbeth, um, Macduff. They're uh, like <laughs> um, when he like gets from the witches that he can't be slain by a woman born, and then the guy goes, "No, but I'm not a woman born." I was like, "Great, love it." The surprise twist, and when the trees come from Dunsmane, ah, amazing. Oh. So oh, that good. is exciting. Okay, so I definitely else? recommend that. Um, I also have been taken along on a journey to watch all of Jane Campion's movies, who is the director of uh, Power of the Dog, which is a big Oscar movie this year. My favorite so far, hands down, is Bright Star, which continues a theme for Macbeth as it's um, about the writer John Keats, or the poet. Um, oh, I thought this was going to be about those like ships from Succession. Where they <laughs> was that was that Bright Star? They were- I think it is Bright Star. Bright Star yeah. Royco, yeah, yeah. Um, Waystar no, Royco's no, no. Bright Star line. Uh. <laughs> um, unfortunately, not. It's about John Keats. Um, and it instead of being based around him, it's actually based from the perspective of Fanny Braun who is this young aspiring seamstress who falls for Keats, Um, her fashion immaculate. Um, But it's just so beautiful. Like it just, 
the cinematography is immaculate and it's very sad. I like wasn't expecting to be taken up by it until the end where I was sobbing and like could not stop, but it was fantastic. Um, Would definitely recommend. uh, If you like a period piece, it's a great period piece. I can't believe I hadn't seen it before. I am excited, Micah. I'm getting so many good movie recommendations from me. This is... I struggle to watch all of them just for you. Yeah, you will save mm-hmm. me from rewatching Little Italy on Netflix <laughs> this month. Wow, nice. that's a bad movie. Even I'm saying that. Um, I love a bad movie. Um, I listened to two good podcasts this month. Nice. Um, again, I don't know if that was clear. I mean, we were talking about bad movies, good podcasts. I'm not inferring that this podcast. <laughs> <is>. <laughs> Uh, Okay, so one I listened to was Crimes of the Centuries, and this is a podcast that uh, my aforementioned boyfriend, who was roommates with Micah's boyfriend, that whole connect, uh, we both listened to it. He put me onto it, and I think we got through, like, the entire first season in, like, a couple weeks, and then we have since been eagerly awaiting each new episode of season two, which has just started this month. But in Crimes of the Centuries, in every episode, journalist Amber Hunt examines a case that was huge when it happened, but is maybe lesser known today. Now, sometimes that is not the case. Like, sometimes they cover really, like, big cases that I feel like everyone knows. And, like, those episodes are not really my favorite. But... Like the Manson family. Who who knows about that? They didn't do that one, but they did do, like, <laughs> like the Tylenol uh murders and uh like the mona lisa and they did like a bit Mm. on the salem witch trials and i was like i feel like these like we've put like i'm I'm pretty all on top of those you know Mm -hmm. but when they do ones like the first time that someone was kidnapped for ransom in the u.s like that's really Mm -hmm. interesting because sometimes are these like really old cases like there was one they were talking about and it was like two of like the presidents or like lawyers or whatever that are mentioned or that are characters in Hamilton were like involved in it um I haven't seen Hamilton so unfortunately I can't give you any more detail than that uh, <laughs> but yeah when when they're good like that they're really good I think it's definitely not revolutionary of me to recommend a true crime podcast in the year of our lord 2022 mm-hmm. but I do want to give this one a special shout out because Although, like, some people really like conversational podcasts where the hosts, like, you know, are, like, having a laugh and they're, like, giving their opinions and trying to solve the crimes today. This is not that. And it's really, like, a good option if you prefer a more impartial journalistic approach to it. So Mm -hmm. very informative, very interesting. I want to be friends with Amber Hunt. I also loved The Big Hit Show, which is a new Spotify podcast where journalist Alex Papadimus examines how super successful pieces of pop culture are made and the impact they leave. Now, I thought maybe the first few episodes were just about one topic, but I think it's the whole first series. Mm. It's about Twilight. So obviously, I am very, very into it. Yeah. This is for you. Yeah. Yeah. So each episode is like a different element of it so the first one was about like the fan culture around twilight the second one was about getting the movie off the ground the third one was about making the movie and uh robert pattinson and kristen stewart's relationship 
The fourth one was about uh, fan fiction, which was pretty cool. And then in the next one, I believe they're actually going to Forks, Washington and like seeing the impact that the series has had Amazing. on the town. A place you so have again, been. I have been. I have been, yes. And I'm mm-hmm. going to try to drag you there in uh, April, Micah, but we'll see. Uh- <laughs> So again, it's another very journalistic podcast, uh, lots of interviews, great access to people like Twilight director Catherine Hardwick, and it's very kind and like interested in something that is pretty easy to mock. So as a Twihard, I really like it. And I think it's really good for anyone who is, they talk a lot about like the TikTok or like pandemic resurgence of Twilight. So if you've kind of got into that this is like a real good listen because it really does like focus on that a lot so i love it have you listened to anything good micah i uh have um i listened and really enjoyed the album collapsed in summer by arlo parks that's a lovely um, name isn't it collapsed it's a beautiful in name yeah um i found this album because it was nominated for a bunch of grammys um, including Best New Artist or whatever that title is called. So she's up yes. against, like, Olivia Rodrigo. Um, nah, you're screwed. You're screwed, mate. Sorry, yeah, Olivia Rodrigo. <laughs> um, what a weird Grammy nominations. Anyways, so she is a British singer-songwriter. Um, very, like, kind of folky, pretty music. Um, her A bunch of the music incorporates poetry into it, so, like, spoken instead of sung. And I really find it quite lovely and peaceful. So if you want to just kind of like a relaxing, nice album, I recommend that one for sure. Well, I mean, I'll do that when I'm working away, just putting some music on, listening to Arlo Parks. It sounds lovely, Micah. Thank mm-hmm. you for that recommendation. Alrighty, And with that last one, it is time to dive into the real meat of the show. Um, welcome to the politics corner of this podcast. This week while racking my brain, or this month, I always say week. Jesus Christ. Um, this we can't month, do that many podcasts, Micah. We can't do it we weekly. Can't. We're too busy. We tried, but we can't. We haven't tried. Um, uh, right. This month in the politics section, while I was racking my brain about what to think about and read about and talk to you about, I realized the one big politics story that I have not been doing my due diligence on is uh, what the hell is happening in the in Ukraine. You may have heard talkings about a World War III. You may have heard that Putin is mad. Um, I figured if I wasn't paying attention to this, our listeners probably weren't either and also probably felt some guilt about not totally knowing what's happening like I was feeling. So I did some reading, got myself in the know, and I will bring you in the know with me. Thank we'll you. Dive I appreciate it. that You're because uh, I've not been doing my due diligence. I'm going to put mean, my hands up and saying that. Fair enough. Um, I've been looking at Paris where Emily is, where she's a cool marketing exec. That sounds like more fun than looking at uh, Ukraine. Um honestly. But actually, it, there's been some interesting stuff happening. So uh, Putin, president of Russia, he's, we all know about him. Um, 
he's been very worried about Western influence in Ukraine for quite a while. Um, and he really would like to return to a period of kind of Soviet influence. So, like, think mm-hmm. of the Cold War. He wants much more power in that area. And also he has this beautiful opportunity to kind of test President Biden's resolve when it comes to um, global military affairs. Because if you remember in 2021, one of Biden's goals, and he did it, um, though not successfully by almost everyone's account, he pulled out of Afghanistan, um, which was a huge deal. um, And he kind of, which signaled that he doesn't really want to participate in wars across the world. So Putin's kind of pushing looking to push Biden to see how much he really wants to stay true to that desire to not participate in wars. Now, you might be thinking, didn't Putin, like, already try and, like, invade Ukraine? Like, this all sounds kind of familiar. What's happening? Um, And you would be right. In uh, 2014, Ukraine had a revolution where they overthrew... um, the president at the time, who was very pro um, Putin in Russia and kind of pro the Soviet kind of mission. And in amongst all that chaos, there was a lot of infighting, many things happened. Um, Russia annexed Crimea. Now, Crimea is like this peninsula island type thing um, that connects both the Ukraine and Russia. And when they annexed it, which means, like, took it from the Ukraine and made it part of Russia, um, they, the the Russians were like, everyone here is pro-Russia. They want to be part of our country. We'll, we'll take them. Um, this was, like, a big part of the Obama era of foreign policy and kind of a, some people say a failing of Obama. He let Russia take Crimea. Um, so here we are. This is the the situation, and then until now, until in late December, early January, um, Putin starts moving a huge amount of heavy artillery to the Russian-Ukrainian border, which freaks people out. Because everyone is thinking he is going to invade. Um, And there's this interesting kind of time bomb on all of this, of that... Putin is very clear that he does not want to invade the Ukraine. He doesn't, that's not his goal. He doesn't want to do it, he says. Yet he has amassed 100,000 troops on the border um, and has done so in a way that makes it so if he, if he was planning to go to war, he has to go to war very soon. So I have dubbed this a reverse Napoleon problem. So, (laughs) the Napoleon problem is you don't invade Russia in the winter. It turns out that to get to Ukraine from Russia with all of these very heavy tanks, the land and water needs to be frozen so they can move the equipment across it. But that, thank you to global warming, is only a very short amount of time right now. And so they have, and it's not fully frozen yet, so they can't go quite now. But, like, it's basically February, March is the time they can move all of 100,000 troops and tanks across the border. So, Great. small window of opportunity. Great. That's a lovely Valentine's Day present for the rest of the world, isn't it? <laughs> lovely. Small window of opportunity. But also Putin keeps saying, 
we're not actually planning on invading. I don't know what you're talking about. What are you um, doing, though, May? What's going on? Well, what's happening? Um, to make it more confusing, despite the fact that he's like, we're not doing this, he's going to peace, or not peace talks, but negotiation talks with the U.S. and with Ukrainian officials um, oh. to stop the war that he isn't. he says he isn't going to do. Hmm. This is why it's all very confusing. So basically what happened was on January 21st, um, representatives for Putin and Biden were in Geneva talking to each other to try and de-escalate the situation. And Russia basically gave the U.S. a set of demands. And all of those demands basically boil down to the fact that he hates NATO and doesn't want to see it ha- anymore. Um if you forget what NATO is, fair enough. Um, NATO is the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, and that was the organization created by the U.S., Canada, and several Western European countries right after World War II. And they made it specifically to combat Soviet power and expansion, and as a way to, and also part of like nuclear proliferation. They wanted to have like a strong standing in Europe to defend their interests and so it's a cold war institution but it still exists today and putin thinks that it shouldn't because the cold war is over and it doesn't seem fair in his eyes that it still exists um and since the 90s when the berlin wall fell and the soviet union collapsed um nato has only increased its power um NATO has bases in former Soviet countries. The U.S. has military bases, like, in and of themselves there. They do training in various countries surrounding Russia. There's a bunch of nuclear deterrence um, technology in uh, nations surrounding Russia. Um, The membership of NATO has grown by 10 countries since the fall of the Soviet Union. Um, And... One big sticking point for Putin is that in the Ukrainian constitution, they say they want to be a part of NATO, and Putin does not want that. Um, So his demands are basically like, scale NATO back to what it was in the 90s, because it should not be as big as it is now. You basically like expanded it while we were down, and that's not okay. Um... Unsurprisingly, these talks didn't go very well. Um, And so you might be thinking, well, it seems like Putin holds a lot of the cards here. Like, he has all of his military set up. Mm. He is in this weird, like, time window thing. But, like, we don't know. Like, he could just invade Ukraine. So what are the kind of cards that the U.S. and its allies have? Basically, they have, like, three threats that they've positioned um, towards Putin. One of them is financial sanctions. So that's going, it's what they've, like, done to Iran in the past. Um, You can't, the banks can't trade with Russia. It, like, cripples their finances, which is not great because, like, the entire world is not in a great place financially in this current moment. Um, the other option is tech sanctions. So that's hmm. like, um, it looks different in a couple ways. One is um, not allowing microchips that are 
patented in the U.S. to be sold in Russia. Don't worry, we can't and get them in the U.S. either. There's exactly. No microchips, so don't worry about it, mate. <laughs> um, so supposedly that will help. I think the other idea, so one is to make it so they can't like build more military things, and the other one is to make it so that like your regular Russian can't buy an iPhone anymore. And you know what gets people upset is when they can't buy their tech. Um, yeah, so maybe we've that seen would it make here over Black Friday. Yeah, you imagine Black Friday just every day in Russia. That would be bad. Wow. Um, at least that's what they're hoping. So that's one option, um, one threat that they've made. And then the other one, which has already started to happen a bit, is the funding of Ukrainian insurgents. So hmm. the Ukrainian army not very well equipped. It couldn't really defend itself against Russia. And so there are all of these tiny like paramilitary groups that aren't officially part of the army that um, could help fight Russia if they invade it. Got um, it. And there are like this is a sticking point. One it, like it's apparently this is a military technique called a porcupine maneuver. Basically you make invading a place so prickly and, and difficult to do that it doesn't seem appealing anymore um i love that the I military are calling it a porcupine maneuver like that sounds like something that they tell kids who go to like like a steiner montessori or something of like, <laughs> roll into a ball do a little porcupine, a porcupine. um but yeah not. unfortunately like invasion not that cute um, because it turns out a lot of the Ukrainian insurgents and organize those organizations are not good people. Oh, and are um, associated with like fascist far right and Nazi movements. Oh, we don't um, like that. No. We don't like that. Um, this led to an entirely aside huge controversy. Oh, it would be if we didn't have our own fascists um, in Canada. There was this controversy where basically people were like, why are we giving money to these Ukrainian fascists? And then the Ukrainians were like, no, you're giving money to help us not be invaded. And Some in- interesting politics happening, um, but there is a question of like, should... If Putin says he's not invading, um, and more importantly, as we get into later, the Ukrainians don't seem to actually be that worried. Um, why are we giving money to these like vocally far-right organizations? Mm. Um, that's a controversy that's on the side that maybe is useful to keep your eye on. Um, so yeah, those are the three options. Financial sanctions, tech sanctions, or funding paramilitary organizations. Um, and things are still kind of hot right now. We don't really know what's going to be happening. Um, many countries have told their citizens to get out of Ukraine, um, because the war might happen. Um, certain countries have started pulling out diplomats. Um, other countries are bringing, like, sending, like, a few of their own, like, military people to help with evacuations. Um, and on the 25th, the U.S. mobilized um, 8,500 troops to be on high alert. So, um, wait, the day when after you said they've mobilized them to be on high alert, they're still in the U.S. though, right? Like, they're no, not... they're in like Latvia or other NATO oh, okay, nations. Oh, okay, okay, got it, got it. Um, 
because like NATO is set up in such a way that there are actually like a lot of American military presence in like West Germany, Latvia specifically, right. in like a very near area. Um, on the 26th, Russia and Ukraine came together and said that they will respect the ceasefire that has been in place um, since Crimea annexation. Um, but then at the same time, so like they were happy, but then at the same time, Putin said that the U.S. had failed to meet their demands from the talks they'd had in Geneva. Um, and so it's very confusing what's going to happen, specifically because the people who are like most at risk, i.e. the Ukrainians, don't seem that up like fussed currently. Oh, really? Um so the president of Ukraine has been like playing down the risk and he's been telling countries not to remove diplomats. Um, the foreign minister said that, um, he said, I don't consider the situation now more tense than before. There's a feeling abroad that there is war here and that's not the case. Um, and they're saying that the for- that Russia doesn't have enough troops to invade. Um, the Pentagon says otherwise. So now we're in this weird moment where Putin says he isn't going to invade, but he has a lot of military. Um, Lots of geopolitics happening, post-Cold War stuff. Um, And now we're all just sitting tight and seeing what Putin is going to do. I think, in part, this is an interesting exercise. And, like, I was reading um, more, like, Western-based news to kind of understand Mm -hmm. what was happening like New York Times, Global News, yeah. CBC, BBC, stuff like that, The Guardian. And those organizations are all kind of like more center leaning, um, which tend to be more like okay with going to war and like under seeing big threats as something that we should be dealing with. Sometimes escalating big threats, we don't know. Um, I think it would be really interesting if I had the capability, i.e. I spoke Ukrainian, to like read that kind of news, right? Yeah, and see what like what are they saying there? Um, unfortunately, the state of journalism does not allow that as easily currently. Hmm. Um, but I think it, it like obviously it's a, a thing to keep in mind. Like we only have the perspective, our Western perspectives here, and it's hard yeah. to get more diverse one sometimes especially when twitter is like a place where you could potentially get that but is also a hellscape sometimes so that it is that it is yeah yeah. so i hope i i feel more knowledgeable about what's happening and willie like able to like see the horizon potentially who knows um and i hope you do too and feel a little more like even though the situation is unsettled, maybe you feel a bit more settled and understanding that it's unsettled. I think so. And I'm hoping, Micah, that you will have a settling update for us in I really future. hope that, like, nothing really happens and it's exactly. all good. Yeah. 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 <laughs> this month, there hasn't just been one word on everyone's mind. <laughs> There's been 31 words, one for each day of the month, and each one of them has exactly five letters. This is my very, very convoluted way of saying that Wordle is the pop culture topic of this month. I'm going to be talking about Wordle. Before we get Mm -hmm. into this, Micah, are you a Wordler? Do you play Wordle? I am not. 
Oh, um, what? I know really? Um, <laughs> you know how, like, on the internet, one way to, like, throw criticism at something, and sometimes it's very valid and sometimes it's not, is that something is ableist? I truly believe Wordle is set against those of us who are dyslexic and don't know words. It is so difficult that I will never be able to do it. Okay, that's fair. So that's I have to sit, have to sit this one out, yeah. It would probably be difficult if you were colorblind as well for reasons I will get into. They've made a non-colorblind version, like a colorblind-friendly version. Good for them. All right, well, yeah. I was going to say hopefully they can uh, come up with a dyslexic-friendly one, but that there is There I, is nothing no. to be done. No. They'll I'll find the next game do like shape patterns or I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So if you don't know, Wordle is, as we have alluded to, a daily online word game uh, where no app is needed. And that's kind of my favorite thing about it because mm-hmm. I have a no games app policy on my phone. I had like Flappy Thrones, which was like a Game of Thrones version of Flappy Birds in like mm-hmm. 2012. Which was kind of strange because I never watched Game of Thrones. And that was the last, like the first and last game I've ever had on my phone. I just, they need to be a game free space. Otherwise, addiction will ensue. So this one's online. And another thing that stops it from being totally addictive is that it is daily. So you can only play Wordle once a day. And every 24 hours, there's a new five letter word that you have to guess. That is essentially the goal of the game. So you're greeted with a blank game board of five squares across and going down six rows so you start off by guessing your first five letter word uh for example a good one to put in is ouija because it uses a lot of vowels so you can like knock them out the way if a letter turns green you know that the letter is in the final word and it's in the right spot. So if we're using the Ouija example, the O turns green, then you know that the five-letter word begins with O, and then you start thinking orange, and then you realize orange is too many letters. And so exactly. On. If a letter turns yellow, it is in the final word, but it's in the wrong spot. So if, like, the U that is in the second place is yellow, that means that it might be, like, the third or fourth letter. It's just not the second one. If a letter turns gray, it's not in the word at all. And that'll show up on your little, like, keyboard icon, like, down below, so you know not to use that one again. And you've basically got six tries to get it right. So pretty simple and very fun. So to Mm -hmm. give you a little, like, lesson on where it came from, it is designed by a Brooklyn-based software developer named Josh Wardle, and it is clearly a play on his last name for himself and his partner who loves word games. And it became like very popular in their family WhatsApp groups. Eventually, uh, Josh Wardle, I think I'm going to call him Josh. It sounds a little familiar, but it makes more sense in terms of the Mm -hmm. Wardle Wardle thing. Josh eventually released it to the word, the world. (laughs) This is going to be a hard segment to the world in October, 2021. And it, kind of remains pretty much the did in October 2021. Uh, There are no like ad banners. There's no notifications reminding you to play. So it's like a pretty, pretty simple game. Um, In October 2021, uh, it launched and about a month later on November 1st, they had 91 players. So not that many. But just over two months later, January 2022, we've got over 300,000 players a day. 
quite rudely, uh, a website called Fox to Detroit called it a popular game among millennials, which probably tells you a lot about who most of the 300,000 people playing it are. But mm-hmm. a lot of celebrity fans uh, love Wordle. The beloved and aforementioned John Green plays Wordle. Jimmy Fallon famously played Wordle. It was actually featured in a recent SNL sketch. So essentially, this thing has blown up. And I mm-hmm. guess that begs the question, why? Why is it so big? Why did it blow up? For me, I think the daily nature of it is important. It kind of feeds into this, like, collective spirit so for example uh newjersey.com published an article on january 24th entitled wordle was hard today and you're not the only one who struggled so (laughs) and i'm seeing this like every day there's every day there is like articles that come out of people just like discussing what that word Mm -hmm. today was and another way that people are discussing it is on twitter so you can share your results spoiler free after completing wordle for the day you basically uh, tweet it and it populates the tweet with these like green yellow and gray emoji squares so it's not actually spoiling like what any of the letters are for anyone who sees it but it is like showing other people your process that's kind of fun like you can have a little mm-hmm. conversation there you're probably thinking though like how like where does this fit into the pop culture side of things like i'm, I'm clearly not just going to end this as like a this is what Wordle is. Hope you play. <laughs> we like to contextualize these things on this podcast. And I think this really fits into the canon of very popular daily things. I think like as humans, yes. this idea of rituals and routines really appeals to us. And Wordle immediately reminded me of another daily game, which was HQ trivia. And this mm-hmm. was like a huge deal in early 2018 when we were studying abroad in Boston. I remember like going to an American friend's house and I can't remember exactly what time you would play this game because this one was like a timed one. But yeah. like at 6 p.m., everyone just got off their phone, like just got on their phones and like logged on to this game. And I was so confused. It felt kind of Orwellian, but I was pretty into it. Essentially, HQ Trivia was a daily live quiz show developed by the creators of Vine. A presenter would ask 12 multiple choice questions, and if you answered them all correctly, you would win part of the game's daily prize fund. So in February 2018, there were an estimated 2.3 million people tuning in each evening, and sometimes the prize pool could be up to $300,000, and The Rock was even guest presenting uh, the show once. So Age Crew Trivia blew up, but as a lot of things do, it declined. Uh, In February 2020, they broadcast what was supposed to be their final show, though apparently they got like more investors and came back later. And I don't know, it sounded like that didn't really transpire into what it was before anyway. But the February 2020 broadcast sounds like a bit of a train wreck. Apparently the hosts had been drinking tequila shots and champagne, the total prize pool was $5, which came out of one of the host's <laughs> pockets, and it was shared between 523 players. So a big fall from grace for HQ trivia. A daily thing that hasn't really fallen from grace, definitely still around, has evolved in ways, is the Angelus, which is something we have in Ireland, and having just come back from there, it's on the mind. The Angelus is a feature of Irish radio and television where 
we hear the bells of the Angelus prayer for a minute and we are called to pray. So for example, like you would watch like the, the public TV channel and at 6 PM, you, like in place of a regular advert, you would get this like sound of bells. And it used to be people in like religious scenes, like people would be milking a cow and then they would stop milking their cow and they would start praying or they would like, <laughs> yeah. Or they'd be like in a library and they'd like pull a book from a bookshelf and then they'd hear like the bongs as some people call them. Cause it's very like, bong. and then you would like, you would pray. Uh, now it's more like the, the recent one that I saw is just like somebody standing on a street, like painting a picture, but it's still supposed to be this time of like reverence. It still exists essentially. Uh, and it has been going around since like 1950. So pretty much as soon as TVs are in Ireland, they were like, get the prayers on them, put them up. So daily things, like anything that can become part of like your routine in that way, we love them. Micah, you mentioned before that you're meditating. You know, I think we can, we just like the daily things. Mm-hmm. We also love games. Does anyone remember Pokemon Go? <laughs> of course. Of course. If you don't, or maybe like you're three years old and you're listening to this. So Pokemon Go uh, started in 2016 and it, I guess, is an augmented reality game that allows mobile devices with GPS to locate, capture, train, and battle virtual creatures called Pokemon, which appear as if they are in the player's real-world location. And this thing was freaking huge. Did you play Pokemon Go, Micah? I didn't. You did? But I witnessed it happening. Wow, you're real, like, no Wordle, no Pokemon Go. Well, I didn't, like, watch or play Pokemon before. Me neither. And I didn't play it very often, but I did play it with uh, my friend Luke after we finished high school. Like, we still wanted to hang out. So we used to, like, go to McDonald's and then eat chips in the car and then – or fries in the car and (laughs) drive around uh, catching Pokemon. And it was like – Nice. We'd have some pretty fun times. Yeah. Uh, It wasn't just the two of us eating our fries and catching the Pokemon. Uh, (laughs) There were literally – hundreds of millions of people playing this at one point and it was praised a lot actually for getting people outdoors and socializing of course there was like always like a few weird things like pokemon being like dangerous locations or like religious locations and people like don't go there but on the whole people pretty into it i think another final reason the wordle has become so huge this month is that it marks yet another phase of the penny d we have just lived through like so many phases of this and i'm not just talking about like og covid delta omicron we've had like a lot of pop cultural trends so we watched Tiger King. We all baked sourdough. We were all really into Baby Yoda. We're all listening to Red. And like obviously those things like come up in a normal year. But I think with the lack of things to do, those things have like felt a lot bigger. Especially mm-hmm. ones that have happened at times of like real big spikes. You know, like Tiger King when everyone was in mandatory quarantine. Um, That was, like, at a time when there was, like, a nationwide lockdown in the U.S. Or, like, Wordle, which is a big thing during the huge Omicron spike. So, there's definitely, like, that having more time. But I think there's also a sense of people bonding over things that make us feel connected during a time when being 
physically isolated is necessary. So mm-hmm. if you want to look at it that way, Wordle's very sweet. I have another sweet thing about Wordle that I discovered recently. Tell um, me. People are making Wordle in other languages. Oh, um, yes, yes, yeah. Which is really cool. Uh, Josh Wordle. Um yeah like shares his code like it's free to use um and you can just make it in any language and so my friend is um uh very invested in the ladino community which is a spanish-ish language um from the jewish community in spain and then uh turkey and everywhere else uh sephardim went and they made a ladino wordle and it's like a great way for people to learn this language that like is they're trying to revitalize. Um, That's so I just fun. thought it was wonderful. And I think like big points to the creator who like has made this free game and then has helped other people make it for their communities. Like I think Yeah. Awesome. And like I said before, there's no like there's no app, there's no like banners, ads. Like there's mm-hmm. a lot of ways this could be monetized and it hasn't been yet. I do wonder like what is the future of it like if there's kind of i'm not going to say a grand plan but maybe they're holding out for well so someone made someone stole his code and made <gasps> an app and like oh i have if seen... you play it on his app on the app you're like persona non grata in the real world community like yeah you're not I, supposed to use the app there's been like a few like fake sites coming up mm-hmm. as well so for sure i wonder if like now that you're saying this that people using it to use language i wonder if like duolingo or someone will uh try and incorporate maybe because like it would be a good feature and like right like like by yeah yeah, that could be interesting um i like that i like that i actually did get a email from scott's cheap flights which is a newsletter i signed up to not so much like for the flights because like i always find anytime there's like a cool flight offer it's always for like very specific dates that i'm never available for but it does (laughs) give like good information with the changing like travel restrictions in the u.s Mm -hmm. like it was very helpful like telling you what testing you had to do when you came back from overseas to the u.s which i did this month in like a much more digestible way than some of the government websites are um but this isn't just a plug for scott's cheap flights but what i was going (laughs) to say was um they sent me an email that was like they had made a version of it but it was like testing your knowledge of airport codes (gasps) um Which is pretty funny. So mm-hmm. I, I didn't think a lot of them were five letters. Maybe it's like it must be a, a three letter. I think they're three. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my final wordle thing that I need to get out of my brain because we were talking about being Celsius girls and other things. Um, it's so American centric um, in its but spelling. It's on a website called powerlanguages.co.uk, which is. But one of the words, which is not a spoiler anymore because it happened a yeah. while ago, was labor. With an O and not an O-U. That is confusing. Very complicated. Though Very upsetting. I think having a um, uh, a non-American uh, upbringing benefited me with arguably one of the hardest words, which was null. Um, and I felt mm. like I really knew that because I read a freaking shit ton of Eden Blyton growing up. And like if you've read Eden Blyton, those like famous five kids were always up on grassy knolls, you know? So, yeah. whereas I think, like, a lot of Americans were, like, we do not 
ever use that word. That is, and I don't think anyone outside of like 1950s England has either. I think that was the January 25th one, where everyone was like, "This was really hard." Yeah, there was a couple of, maybe it was. Yeah, there was one that was like making big news. the null. Uh, I found the word prick quite difficult. Uh, again, I think that's maybe where my non-American upbringing has disadvantaged me because I was like, surely mm-hmm. it's not a naughty word like prick. And then I forgot <laughs> that prick is like not a naughty word in America. Yeah, it's not just an insult. Yeah. yeah. Um, so lots of wordle facts there. Uh, it's pretty big. But if you're like not as interested in this, um, I think like this is a good lesson in letting people have their fun. Mm-hmm. So I've seen a lot of stuff on Twitter of people being like, I will never care about your Wordle results and like people retweeting it and stuff. And I think Micah here is a very good example of someone who does not play Wordle and is still interested and kind about mm-hmm. it. I will admit that when I had Twitter, I frequently blocked words relating to Star Wars and BTS. And I I do believe that the online fans uh, of those franchises have kind of permanently ruined them for me. But mm-hmm. one tweet a day, let people have their fun or just like mute the word wordle and like move along with your life. You know? Yeah, it's fine. Um, and just like remind yourself, this too shall pass. Or maybe not, because although <laughs> HQ trivia clearly didn't last, as I mentioned before, the Angelus has been around since 1950. And Spelling Bee, which is a word game by the New York Times that Wordle is often compared to, uh, was first printed in the paper in 2014, and it's had a digital presence since 2018, and is still going. Maybe you won't hear about it on a daily basis, but it's still going. And the ultimate pandemic trend, TikTok, still reigns supreme so Mm -hmm. maybe wordle is just a evergreen facet of our lives now we'll have to wait and see but i for one will keep playing it because i love forgetting every single five letter word i've ever heard on a daily basis seriously i cannot think of a single word when those things come up i mind blank completely i this is my problem too but i like find it frustrating and not enjoyable i do like watching other people do it though that's yeah i kind of like seeing the different strategies like i and i I think it's like your wordle strategy says who you are as a person right i am a very impatient person and my wordle strategy is just like fire through it i don't care if it takes me like five tries to get it i'm like how quick can i get this word like that's that's my thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas I know other people who like want to try get it in two guesses and they'll like think really, really hard about it to like try and get that. So, you know, we're all different. We're all unique. And Wordle is the new horoscope is essentially what I'm saying. <laughs> Not really. But I hope if you're playing Wordle that you will have a lot of great G R E A G R E A T. That is five. A lot of G R E A T luck going forward. Hello, this is Editing Yes, making her very first appearance on this podcast to let you know that since this conversation in which we mused about the future of Wordle, it has been purchased by none other than the New York Times for a sum in the low seven figures. There you go. (laughs) 
Alrighty, that brings us to the end of 2022's first episode of Different Things Can Be Sad. We will be back in your ear holes at the end of February. Micah, what will you be up to in that time? What's what's on the cards for February? Valentine's month? Any hot oh. date night plans? You know I will be in the theater watching Marry Me on opening day. What it's is happening. Marry Me? It's the J-Lo Owen Wilson movie. <gasps> Have you not seen this trailer? Yes. That... Are you freaking the tra- Okay. The trailer came that on. That comes before- out on Valentine's Day. That comes out on Valentine's Day. The trailer came on before House of Gucci when I went to see it on opening night as well. And people lost their minds. More than watching House of Gucci itself, they lost their Fair. minds to this trailer. Oh, um, I am absolutely seeing. That is my plan sorted. It just, it just reminds me so much of like early 2000s romances and like late 90s romances. It's a return to that kind of feel. And I think yeah. we've been those. Um and I'm excited. Damn, now I'm excited. Yeah. We Gosh. love Valentine's Day. I do like a bit of Valentine's Day. I like all holidays, as um, anyone who knows me uh, yeah. will know. Moments you know? of joy. Always yeah. good. We got Galentine's Day as well. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, no, I was going to say that's not when we saw Lady Bird, but we did see When Harry Met Sally together on Valentine's mm-hmm. Day. That's still one of my favorite Valentine's Days I've ever had. It was beautiful. Me too. Yeah. What a Truly lovely beautiful. one. Maybe I'll do that. Basically, we're going to be watching movies, so expect to hear big things <laughs> from our, our watching section next month. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to keep up with any of that, you can follow our Instagram at DTCBS Podcast. We'll be posting things about the episode. Uh, but you can find us personally. I don't think I mentioned it this episode, but my Instagram is at Yasmin Lomax. Um, yours, my Micah? Instagram is at Micah Hahn. Yeah. S- yeah. Twitter still? We're- and, and on Twitter. It's currently on private, but if you follow me, I will uh, Yeah. Let, let you follow me back. Let you in the fold. Yeah. 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 Anyway, well, I hope you have a lovely, warm February wherever you are, a romantic one if uh, that's your vibe. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.